Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Winning at Work. You know, I was just going back and looking. I started this podcast almost three years ago. I had no idea what it was going to turn into. Sometimes uh, even a uh, you, you get lucky, I guess you might say. And according to statistics and how things are going, you guys are making this one of the top food and beverage podcasts for the industry. Very, very grateful for that. Um, super grateful to all the guests that I've had. And I, what is it, Matt, that we, we're on a roll now? What is this, three, four? Yeah, we've had a good stretch. And I think the, the interesting connector has been Costco. That's like, you know, I look at the brands that I work with and so many of them, that's the crossroads. And, and when we were talking about it the other day, I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to Jeremy because that's where we had met, you know, back in the day. And I thought it'd be interesting to catch up with him. And, you know, again, the, the work that he does and just the, um, you know, the disruption and the entrepreneurs and just really that crossroads, I think, uh, made sense to bring him on. He's the founder and CEO of Launchpad. And I thought, uh, what a great way to catch up and just, you know, talk, talks the talk. Yeah. Well, welcome in, Jeremy. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I didn't know your podcast was so popular. <laughs> you know, that's good. You can, we'll cross promote your podcast as well. So we always appreciate that. Um, well, actually we just discontinued it. It was more of a political one to kind of um, fight back a little bit as to um, all the bullshit that goes on LinkedIn. 
Yep. And, yep. Um, LinkedIn has sort of become the business Facebook. Oh, so, don't um, get me started on that. I, I feel like I have gotten rid of so many connections lately just because of all mm-hmm. the nonsense that's out there. Yeah. So it's like, hey, yeah. there's you've got Facebook for that. Why don't you put that post on there? I don't even comment on that stuff anymore just because it's like, ah, this is not the, it's not the forum for it. Um, well, you know, what's unique about this podcast is that this is designed for the food and beverage professional. And so we bring in executives and leaders like yourself who have got the deep experience, all the great learnings, and we kind of get to kind of walk through a lot of your experiences and people can li- listen and learn, of course, um, they can reach out and contact and do business with you, you know, as a result, if, if, if it makes sense. But, you know, Matt, just a couple of weeks ago, you and I were having a conversation and we talked about direct to consumer. Then we talked about how these brands were then launching from DTC and getting into Costco, getting into club. And lo and behold, you said, well, I know Jeremy Smith. He's got an incubator for entrepreneurs that want to get into Costco. And that's what kind of was the genesis behind this uh, this podcast today. So, Jeremy, thank you again so much for um, coming in and kind of walking us through a little bit. Tell us just what is the, uh, the, the, the essence of what you're trying to accomplish for your brands at, at Launchpad? Well, first of all, um, we're trying to get them to understand Costco in a way that most uh, food brokers um, are not uh, spending the time with them. And so we turn down a lot of brands because we don't think it's the right time to go to Costco. And so, um, you know, Costco will take some brands in that um, don't belong there just yet. And, um, you know, so we're kind of this bridge between you know, um, making sure that we fight for the brand versus the buyer who's fighting for the Costco and cost the Costco member. And so, um, you know, for Costco is very different today than it was 23 years ago when I started doing this and that it used to be a real treasure hunt experience. And uh, that was back when Kirkland Signature, which is their house private label brand, as I'm sure you're both aware um, was about 10% or 12% of their business. And now it's um, closer to 28% of their business. And they're one of the largest private label brands in the world today. So um, it's a very, it's a, it's kind of a different environment. Um, only about 1% of the brands become successful at Costco. And so there's a real deep divide between the brands that become everyday items and the brands that are rotational items. And you have to be careful with that as a brand because you can put a lot of time and money and stretch your supply chain, especially if you're, you're an early uh, company and you go into Costco and let's say you do get a million dollar purchase order, which sounds really exciting, but you do one rotation in a year you could have taken that money and put it out into your retail strategy. So you have to evaluate all those things and what makes sense. And, you know, Costco is loyal to, uh, and, and it's why they're so successful. They're loyal to their member. They're not loyal to the brand or the food. Um, you know, people get kind of caught up in it. It's kind of like, you know, they become fanboys of uh, uh, Costco 
And um, Costco will cut anybody at any time. I mean, even Shivani was cut. You know, Stacy's Pita Chips was cut. Frito-Lay's been cut. Nestle's has been cut. So um doesn't mean they don't go back in, but that that puts you at a high risk if you have a lot invested in Costco. So, Jeremy, I, I'm always curious, too, and I think as, with that Costco in mind and the excitement, how do you, you know, how does Launchpad, how do you place that bet on those brands? How do you look at it from the disruptors and the people? Well, when we first started out, we when we were looking for brands, we would select uh, our focus would be more on the product, and now it's more about the people. Um, Interesting. Okay. Less on the product. I'd rather back a less quality, if you will, or less hyped product that has the people that have a strong track record than um, going out and betting on two people from Wichita, Kansas that. Uh, uh, have no experience in the food and beverage industry and are just totally reliant on a co-packer somewhere out in Yakima, Washington or something and don't have the experience because um, experience um, day in and day out trumps uh, just about anything. And so, um, you know, we would get really excited. Like I'll, t- I'll tell you a brief story about a company best don't best bagel product, frozen bagel product I've ever tasted in my life. It was bagel holes. They were out of Canada. Okay. Um, but the guy, I don't know how he um, zipped his pants up during the day. He was so <laughs> that, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, we tried to get ready for Costco and thank God we never presented to Costco, but he went bankrupt um, in a 10 month period of time. And, and so, so we have to find people that aren't just coming out with the great next, whatever it may be. We have to find people that are capable of um, going across, you know, bringing the brand across the finish line. And there's less of those people and more of the other uh, people. So we really, we focus on something called do D U E, which is disruptive, unique, and exclusive. So we look at that and then we look at the team. And if we believe in the team, then we'll, we'll, we'll usually um, move forward with them. But we also keep our client list really short. We're not into being the biggest. Um, we just want to work with the right brands that are trying to change uh, the environment for the better companies like Urban Remedy. Well, you mentioned something kind of interesting that you, you're really betting on the people that makes total sense. You don't want to bring in people who don't understand the food and beverage world and the kind of money and the kind of decisions that have to be made because it's very expensive. But I just want to go back to just something just you have chosen to focus on on Costco. And, and that really struck me as just why? What What is it that makes them a a special kind of channel partner that you're wanting to get people into specifically? Well, the revenue return for all of the work I, I've worked with brands on on uh, grocery, and so you know um, we're working with a brand called Kumana, and um, they have a, a one of the first shelf stable um, uh, avocado sauces, and uh, Albertson Safeway came with a 
you know, 2000, they wanted to bring them in and bring them in, you know, into 2000 stores. I thought that would be like a $3 million order. It would have been at Costco. And, uh, it, it, it wasn't, it was much smaller than that. And, you know, for all of the work that you have to do to get onto the shelf, um, I kind of felt for my effort and my time that I want to put in, um, I'd rather work with someone like uh, Costco than Safeway Albertsons or Walmart. And part of it has to do with values. Mm-hmm. Our, my personal values are more aligned with Costco. Um, they're, they're very demanding of the brands and they're very demanding of the quality and the sourcing. Um, I've worked with Walmart in the past as well as Sam's Club and I found some of the people there to be very unethical and um, they don't care about um, the the environment, the way that um, it's more of a PR event than it is Costco lives and breezes stuff. And so um, it's also, you know, Costco is one of those places where you, you can go in and um, you can go into one or two buildings. And we've had brands that have built, their business very slowly at Costco in their home region. And that's all they did for the first year was one to five buildings. And, and um, it's much harder to do that um, with a slower movement, cell unit movement and velocity at, let's say a Walmart. And I, I just think that while, while there's pluses and minuses for the brand, because the advantage for the brand is that, if you meet the requirements of the retailer, um, uh, you'll be there every day. And that's what you really need as your foundation for your business. At Costco, there's no guarantee, no matter how successful you are, mm-hmm. you're going to be there every day. They, they will never guarantee that to you. And they warn you that you could be gone tomorrow for any reason. And there's a long list of brands that, that did really well at Costco, but they're not there anymore. Do you find with the, uh, obviously with the economy now, that more brands as they're starting, that they feel that Costco is sort of the um, safety net, if you will, to start? Well, I think more brands are trying to uh, launch earlier at Costco and they're not succeeding. Um, there's a few here or there that are, but um you know, Costco is really a value sale. So, um, you know, the consumer is already purchasing an item generally before it goes to Costco. And so they then need to see that value that is on the shelf at Costco. And that's the biggest difference is that um, if you don't have that value side to show that, you um, you know, there's a major uh, price difference for buying, you know, a 400 pound bag of potato chips versus uh, a 15 ounce bag at the store at the grocery store. Um, then it's not a big enough value for the consumer to go into a Costco and take on such a large volume, you know, and, and that's why I think items like kale never really took off, like kale chips never really took off. It's not it's not something you you know you call up the, your best friends and say hey we're going to watch the Niners game tonight. I've got a 22 ounce bag of kale and we're going to have some beers together. The beer part works, but the kale yeah. 
We're going to crush that bag of kale. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they have to yeah, they have to be ready to take on that kind of volume. And that's that's really one of the challenges I know I've always had at Costco. You know, your kids get up and out of the house and suddenly it's like, okay, there's fewer and fewer people eating. How am I going to fill up uh, you know, my my basket now? So, um you touched on your vetting process kind of focusing on the people. Um when you, but you also in your opening, you said that there were certain brands maybe that weren't quite ready for Costco. Can you talk to us a little bit more, maybe just about trends, what you're seeing, what's happening? Because that seems to be an area that you have a very strong sense for. And that kind of goes into also how you evaluate and vet, right? So you you find a product, you say the people, they work, and this is going to work right now in Costco. So what are the trends right now? Well, I would say that, you know, the first, the first trend would be obviously plant-based, but, um, uh, the one that I see that's getting, um, uh, that's outperforming plant-based is, is keto. Um, not in the true sense. Like if you, if, if you look at keto as a category, keto's kind of replaced low sugar. You know, people used to shop low sugar. Now, Instead of saying low sugar, they they presume that it will be low sugar because key, that's one of the requirements of keto. The, no one's really eating the true keto diet. It's kind of been kind of bastardized, um, but it's done very well. And a lot of people don't talk about it, but it's actually outperforming in a lot of regions um, on on the on the. It's overperforming versus plant-based as as much attention as beyond Meat and all those other companies get um keto um seems to be um something that's lasting longer first it was paleo and then um it quickly pivoted to keto and keto's kind of even replaced um paleo although there are some paleo um type trends out there i mean you know there's certain trends that come and go and you want, you want to bank on the ones that are going to become more part of the, the consumers, you know, day to day world. And I think, you know, you're seeing more hot sauces, um, are becoming, um, you know, more specialty brands are replacing, um, you know, kind of like the emerging food brands are replacing the traditional, um, like Bubba's uh, uh, spice sauce is being replaced by um, Japanese barbecue sauce and things like that. There's more, you know, items coming from Asia and Korea uh, than there are necessarily from the traditional Kraft Heinz groups. Do you find that consumers, that's what they're looking for, that that's what they want is it's more about what's the next thing, next thing versus Tabasco and, you know, Heinz ketchup? Well, you know, I've always been a big believer in what Steve Jobs said, and that is the consumers don't know what they want until you show them what they want. So, you know, he said that if we had showed them, a, if we had done focus groups and showed them in, in a, you know, an early version of the iPod or the iPhone, they would have said, no, I'm happy with my Sony Walkman. I'm going to stick with that or I'm happy with my BlackBerry. And so he said we had to show them something that um, 
was totally different that they're not thinking of. And so I think some of that is true. Like, you know, we, we were, we worked with Sugar Bowl Bakery, which is a great company. Um, uh, they're out of the Bay area and they've been at Costco a very long time, but you know, at the time period when we went into Costco, we were looking at, you know, a three pound brownie because Costco was selling two pound brownies. So the traditional thinking process is, well, if Costco's carrying a two pound brownie, if we go to a three pound brownie, um, then th there'll be more value for the member. But we also saw the beginning of the low carb craze starting to come on and we felt, well, what if we go with a brownie bite that is really small um, because if consumers really had dropped the low carb, lower sugar um, mantra, they're not going to want to buy a two or a three pound brownie. And Costco thought we were nuts at first, but um, it, it took off and became successful and the rest, you know, was history. But they, but you know, the difference is because there's a lot of brownie bites out there. Sugar Bowl took the best of a, what a brownie is and made it indulgent, but put it into a very small format. And so, you know, it's much easier to go home and consume a whole bucket of, um, you know, a whole container of brownie bites and not feel guilty of it, but just telling your friend that you just ate a three pound brownie, you know, is kind of gluttonous. <laughs> so, um, but, but you actually wound up consuming three pounds of brownies. You just did it in a brownie. Bite. <laughs> so, so those are the, you know, the things we look for. Um, you know, we don't get caught up in chasing things like things that the first thing we do out of it, since this, this is good timing, Expo East just yeah. happened. Mm -hmm. So, you'll see all these articles and all these moron pundits that um, will claim here's where the market's going. Yep, yep. Several years ago, everyone is CBD, you know, the marijuana push is coming. This is it. This is going to take off. It's going to become the biggest thing. And that was coming out of Expo West. That was the big thing. And that was the trend. And everybody, including Matson and all the industry consultants who, get paid to uh, tell us what's coming next. We're wrong. They were all wrong. And um, I didn't get it when I first looked at it. And I just, just said, I, I said, there's too much, too many regulatory yeah, that's problems. That's what I was seeing too. Yeah. Yeah. When people think they get high and they're going to fail drug tests, there's so much education on the consumer side. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, you can't put something, you can't put a truck on the road and 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 only be allowed to go to three states to sell the product. So, you know, there were problems with that 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 they ignored. And the same thing happened in the plant-based category with Beyond Beef. Is that what a lot of people? And this is this is where you really get into the science of the business. Is that what a lot of people don't look at is the cult. And I know you guys do because you're in PR and marketing. The biggest influence is culture, and it's so seldom talked about. And I kept saying, I think Beyond Meat and Impossible can be successful with early adopters, but this country is a meat and potatoes country. You know, people love, 
you, you don't you don't hear your buddies call up and go, hey, it's July 4th, man. Come on over and have some. We're having a, a plant based barbecue. Fest. And <laughs> said said no know, one ever. Right. So you're talking about two, three hundred years of people cooking pork, cooking chicken, cooking beef on certain holidays and certain ass, you know, parts of life. And in the plant based industry, it has ignored this. Well, you got to understand, man, the, the cows are killing the climate. And, uh, you know, American consumers don't give a shit about the climate overall. They're just trying to get through their everyday life. We want to believe that they're trying to make the world a better place, but they're still buying these giant Silverados and Tahoes to get eight miles to the gallon. And if you if you don't factor all of those things into your trends and the cultural aspect of it, you don't under, you, you won't understand how far or how um, slow the business may grow. And I think that's what happened with the plant-based proteins. Now, we're also faced with the reality of the fact that there is a problem and climate change is getting worse and worse. And we're going to be forced to deal with this no matter what. So the, the plant-based people are right on that side, but saying, trying to get them to fall in love with food products you know, food is sexy. People really love their food. They're passionate about it. They they fight for their brands. They really believe in it. But there's nothing sexy about fake food. I mean, it's it's it, it's. Um, and I think that that's some of the problem. If you look at this, the the next wave of brands, which are cell based meats. When you listen to those people talk, it's about the most boring conversation I've ever heard in my life. It's all about technology. Yeah, it's like a bunch of face Facebook people talking about metaverse. Who gives a shit? Yep. You know, um, tell me what am I going to do with that and what it's going to bring to me? And I and you have to look at that with food as well. And I think that um, sometimes the industries get you know so caught up in the hype about a category or an item. And, you know, ultimately the decider is not the brand. It's not the U S government. It's the consumer and the consumers have all the power. They just don't realize it. And in the end they vote and they decided that plant-based fake meats are not, they don't dig it. You know, it's not, you know, um, and, and when you, when you, when, VC firms have put up $2 billion or more into the category and the items don't sell that well. It's time to pack it up and find something else to do. Do you think that's going to happen? Because I, I have seen enormous amounts of money flowing in and we know the volume in a grocery store doesn't even compare with what's happening in the meat case. So I would imagine investment is going to be slowing down on that. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And I also want to get your thoughts on when you're building a business plan for a, a, an entrepreneur that wants to disrupt a category or they just they've got a great idea and they want to exploit maybe a white space. How how much of your business plan is focused on getting them to a sale or getting them to a uh, an investor to come in and, and, and take that? that product over. So two questions there for you. 
Well, sometimes we're involved with bringing um, investors in, but um, uh, a lot of the time we're just trying to figure out how grounded in reality the founder is versus how much hype he or she may be caught yeah. up in um, on the on category. category. Hype. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I to this day, I've never, you know, in 23 years have anyone call me and say, hey, I've got the worst product in the world. I need your help. <laughs> Every, everyone believes, hey, they, have everyone the believes they have it. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So, so we, we try and, Say, okay, you've got the greatest product in the world. I get it. I get it. But what sets you apart? What's your story? You know, are you authentic? You know, um, a lot of times the founder can't communicate properly his or her message of of what they're trying to do. And so um, I do think, though, you know, we're seeing a change in the market where the investors, the VC firms are starting to pull back. and it's the money's getting tighter now, and the interest rates are going up. So it's it's a little bit tougher market, and I think it's going to be good for the food industry. But I think there'll be a big fallout over in 2023, and there's going to be a lot of. I already know a lot of brands that are running out of money. Let's okay. So obviously that's kind of tr- happening on the plant based side. So well, it's happening throughout, not just plant based, but it's happening with other brands as well, whether you're ice cream, whether you're the money, the money situation is not as free flowing as it was um, uh, a year, you know, 12 to 18 months ago. Right. Well, but these investors, they do need to put their money somewhere. And the food and beverage space has uh, last checked, you know, 1.6 trillion. So it's going to be there. It's just a question of which, which brands, which ideas are they going to get behind and, and push so you're not necessarily helping the entrepreneur kind of plan that exit strategy then from the beginning. That, or is that just kind of part of your your plan? No, sometimes it depends on the entrepreneur. Um, you know, a lot of them have already thought about their exit strategy um, by the time we get there. Usually if they're with an invest, once you get to the investment stage, um, you start to think about that a little bit more. Um, but we have a group of uh, investors that we then say, you know, for, for clients that will sometimes call us and say, um, hey, do you know anybody that might want to put blah, blah, blah dollars uh, into our um, uh, uh, company? Um, and then we'll make some calls and do an introduction. And whether it happens or not, you know, that's up. That's up to them. You know, there's kind of two different investors. You know, there's the people that are just looking for the return. And then there's the people like 301 Inc., which are more involved and bring General Mills in and, and, um, you know, can really help with production and manufacturing. And so there's, um, there's, there's a different subset of investors with within each community but at the same time um you know it's it's important you know for the brand to figure out early on whether or not they're going into a category that has high velocities because that has a big impact on um 
whether or not you're going to attract investors. That's right. Um, I want to switch gears on you for a minute because you obviously have worked with a lot of brands over your your career, and you've made a you've made a career at uh, getting these companies into Costco. But you see a brand that may not have everything together. So I'd love to hear just kind of in general, what are some of the steps? How are you helping get a brand fitted and ready? Because literally, Matt, you and I, we just had a conversation with another brand that they went in too early and they ended up losing a lot of money. So you're obviously there as that safety net to make sure that doesn't happen. So kind of walk us through this, this process of, Ramping them up, getting them fitted, getting them ready, getting those numbers, getting that data. Well, part of it is we do a lot of that work before we sign them. Um, Because the last thing you want to do is sign somebody um, and then find out as you're selling, you've got your purchase orders coming in that they don't have the money to pay for demos. So part of, of, of that we do a pre-screening process where we really talk to the brands. Now we didn't do that 15 years ago. Now we do it um, where we go through and, and help them understand the capitalization and the cost upfront cost that they're going to have to invest into Costco and to make sure they have access to that fund now, the money now, because if they don't, you know, I just had a conversation with a, a brand earlier in the week, um, well, yesterday, <laughs> and uh, uh, and told them that you know they they needed to wait a year, that they just weren't in a position that was going to allow them to move forward with Costco. I said, you could call another broker, and in two seconds, they're going to be interested in your brand and take you out to market. And they may get you in. But the question is, is that, is that what is best for you as a company at this stage right now? And not enough brokers ask that question because they're, the, the, there's some flawed problems with the brokerage industry in how they get paid. So they generally get paid when they sell something. So they're not, no, it's not based on profitability. So they don't give a shit whether you make money or not. Their, their goal is just to get their team out and make a commission off the deal. Um, but for us, we're not doing this. Um, we're not a charity organization, but at the same time, we want to see our clients be as successful as possible. And just, you know, just because you can get into Costco doesn't mean that you should be going to Costco at this time. So we spent a lot of time evaluating it. And then when we, let's assume we've met the initial criteria and they're ready to go. Then we spent a lot of time, which a lot of brokers don't do in rehearsing how the meeting's going to go. And um, we, you know, most brokers don't do any rehearsing. You show up and you're there and you've gone through the PowerPoint but they don't play, you know, you, you got to get, so what if the buyer says this, how are you going to respond? Mm-hmm. And some clients, you know, to be honest with you, they don't want to put the work in um, to do that. And um, for us, then they're probably not a good fit and we're not, you know, we're going to pass on them, but I don't, I don't want to 
for me, I'm a pretty intense guy and I want to move quickly and get, get things moving forward. And, um, I don't want to waste the buyer's time and I don't want to waste my client's time. And I and more than both of those two parties. I don't want to waste my own time. And so, um, for us, that's part of the whole getting the client to understand that you have to move at the speed of Costco, meaning that you have your plant has to be ready. Your you have to be able to pass the audits uh, of the plants. You you have to have all your vendors in alignment, and sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you know they say they're going to move forward, and um, the vendor isn't isn't really you know the brand isn't really ready yet. They think they're ready. They believe they're ready. They want the easy money in their head. But um, we have to slow them down and get them to ground in their, you know, ground themselves and really answer the tough questions of whether they're truly ready or not to go to Costco. Do you find that the buyers are more uh, sophisticated now versus maybe in the past where it was gut? No, it's still okay. No, I, I don't. I don't think the. I, you know, there. There's no. Um, there's no scientific model to say. A, B, C, if you do A, B, and C, it's going to work. You, you don't know how the consumers are going to react. And this is why it goes all back to the timing of when you go. When you, when you have a lot of distribution, you know so much more and have learned so much more about your business so that gives you the knowledge and you understand the consumer better. If you don't understand the consumer better, perfect example of this is if you do well at Whole Foods, that does not guarantee you that you will do well at Costco because Costco is the, the members are a core group of people that shop at Whole Foods, Sprout, so the natural and specialty channel, but also they they have they also shop at Safeway, Albertsons, Wegmans, those type of stores, Kroger's, and so if you can't capture both consumers, then you're probably not going to hit the numbers that get you in there as an everyday item. So when you go too early, you don't have that knowledge, and so you're just flying by the seat of your pants. And so in the end, a lot of the brands, you know, I'll get brands that call me and go, yeah, we worked with this other broker. And I said, the only thing the other broker, you know, and it didn't go well. And I said, the only thing the broker did wrong was he got caught up in your passion and excitement and didn't advise you properly. You should have waited till now to go. Now that you have the knowledge about who your consumer is and whether or not it matches up, like, Costco is eight, you know, in the U.S., they have eight U.S. regions. They're really like eight independent company, eight independent stores. So, you know, a consumer who lives in the Austin area is very, Texas, is very different than a consumer who lives in Houston or a consumer that lives in Chicago. And so you've got to have the knowledge and the experience to understand that, to figure out which regions you should be going into. So there, there, there's a lot at play because some items that work really well on the West Coast don't work really well on the East Coast. You know, something you were saying about the, the brokerage model is <clears throat> broken or has some problems. 
That's really music to my ears in the sense that I, I've been experiencing that in the world of recruiting. So I'm not going to go down that path too far, but I, I, I can't, couldn't agree with you more. When, when you are compensating someone for the final result, then that's what they're going to focus on is getting everything to the finish line so we can get paid. Why? Because they've done all this other work kind of almost pro bono. So uh, do you have any just, just, this is kind of more industry talk here, but how would you fix that model? Well, I think there's a combination of things to do. We've started in January, we introduced a new service that allows we that allows us to help brands skip going through the broker. And so we provide them with the knowledge so that they can go to Costco directly and we advise them along the way. Um, and I think that's more the future of the model because most of the buyers would rather deal with the brand than the broker um, anyway, because uh, uh, most brokers are not authorized to make decisions. So why not just have the brand there? So um, I think over time that that model is going to become more dominant than the brokerage model. Um, you got to remember, and, and I'm really talking about Costco because in grocery, you need broker teams that can do merchandising and do other things that you don't have any, you don't do that at Costco. You're not allowed to go in and merchandise product there. So it's a, it's a, it's a very different type of business. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, most of the brokers are what I call PowerPoint pushers. You know, it's, it's kind of like, that's what they do. That's what they go in. And the model has existed this way for a very long time. And so, you know, if it ain't broke and from a broker's perspective, it works great. But on the other hand, when you really think about it and you break it down and then you talk to, um, a brand, you know, I, I don't think there's many people to brand that would go out and um, do all the work and the research and all the marketing and creation and say, well, we're all we're all doing this for free. And so for a lot of brokers, they're doing it for free. And so we're getting away from that and we're charging retainers now. Because we, we just don't think it works. And if the client doesn't want to pay the retainer and they'd rather go to someone who will do it for free, then, uh, you know, or pay as you go uh, type thing, then that's fine. We're okay losing a client for that reason, but our time's more valuable. And the reason we're so successful is we have a plan in place that works for Costco. And, um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success with it. So, um, uh, I, I, but I think it does need to change and it needs to get better. I mean, we're always, you know, talking about trying, you know, how can you make something that you're doing now better and more efficient? And, um, you know, it, it's interesting because you hear people talk about relationships with buyers and how important it is, but at Costco, it's not as important because, you know, like at Safeway, you might be able to go out water skiing or golfing with the buyer, but you can't do that at Costco. They have they have a wall in place and the buyers are over here, the brands are in, brokers are over here, and there's no mix intermixing of it. And salespeople get confused thinking they've got these great relationships with the buyers 
And then they're shocked when the item gets cut. You know, Costco is all about the numbers and, and it's, a, it's a hard thing for brands sometimes because, you know, it's a very personal thing when you get rejected. So, all right, last question, 2023, what are some of your predictions? Where, where are you seeing uh, food and beverage? And, uh, you know, obviously, where is it? Um, well, that's pretty short. So I, I think, um, I mean, it's right around the corner. So I, I, I think we're going to see some surprising um, bankruptcies and failures of brands in 2023 and 2024. I think we're going to see uh, the plant-based world um, uh, come back to the back to planet Earth, um, and I think there's going to be a um, uh, reemergence of plant-based under a broader um, uh, on a on a broader scale that is different than where we are right now with plant-based because I don't think it can succeed long-term without some changes and less, there needs to be a little bit less hype, but where we see the real future of the, of the food and beverage industry is um, I think what we're going to start seeing is a new, um, force in that's going to impact the food and beverage industry and its health insurance companies and cancer facilities uh, like Stanford, Mayo Clinic, uh, MD Anderson that are developing nutritional and oncology programs that are diet-based for their patients. And I think over time, they're going to have a major influence on how food products are developed. They've now realized that they've been part of the problem in the food industry with allowing companies like Kraft Heinz um, develop products that are unhealthy for the human body. And I think we're going to go into more of a food is healing um, type um, and I, it's a radical idea, but it's happening now. And there's a lot of money. There's, there's, there's billions of dollars behind this. And I think it's going to, over the next 10 to 15 years, it's going to completely change the food and beverage industry. I think you're going to see. Um, and the other advantage is that the medical community has a better track record for um, understanding and convincing consumers to switch their diets than uh, brands have through their marketing and PR firms. And I think that's where we're really headed. Um, kind of like, you know, getting people to change their lifestyle and be on a Mediterranean diet. And if you look at the data on the Mediterranean diet, it's probably the healthiest overall diet for uh, the average human being day in and day out. And it doesn't require you to starve or eliminate a whole bunch of stuff. So it allows you to still go out and eat at a restaurant and, and um, um, cook at home very easily. And I think, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to really improve the health of um, most people around the world over a period of time. And I think that that's where um, uh, we're headed in the future. Awesome. That's cool. That was a good answer. Well, I could be wrong, but... Um, no, uh, I, I, that was smart. I like that. 
people. So well, that's great. What's the um, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, Jeremy, if they want to tell tell you how great their product is and they want <laughs> and they want to get it into Costco next year? Um, either go to our website or um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we generally come up number one on a Google search for Costco brokers, but um, we, we will talk to anyone. So you don't have to be a large brand. You, you may not be ready for Costco. And that is the time to talk to us is to not wait until necessarily you're ready so that we can help prepare you so that 12 months from now, you are ready to go to Costco and you're putting in the procedures and processes in place so that you're ready to you know, go as soon as um, uh, you reach the right stage. And so that's launchpadgroupusa.com, launchpadgroupusa.com. Uh, Matt, what about you? What's the best way for people to get connected with you if they, if they need uh, lifestyle brand PR support? Yeah, blazepr.com, and you'll be able to learn more about us, case studies, and uh, yeah, send us a note. That's great. I'll have all this linked down in the show notes too. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for being here. Uh, It's very topical, very timely. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jeremy. Take care.